disciples, spent time with the apostles, and he broke bread. And, of course, we know the reason why he did that with them, and symbolically pointing to the Passover lamb who was sitting among them, who was soon to be crucified and laid to rest in a tomb that is his body only three days later for Jesus, our King and our Lord, to be resurrected. He is alive and well. He is risen. And so as we gather together, I know here at Refuge, we love to break bread together. We love to hang out. And and so we do that on purpose because this is part of, Uh, of celebrating and acknowledging um, our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. As we come together and we we sit at His feet, we, we take in His Word, but then afterwards it's really important for us to continue that and actually apply what we've come to know in a time of fellowship. And so we have for quite some time just uh, had a little bit of food available and some coffee, some water, and On special occasions, such as today, um, we have a little extra. And, uh, And so we got to enjoy that. You know, one day, one day we will enjoy fellowship in God's glory face to face with Jesus. And it'll be beyond our imagination, beyond what we've ever experienced here on earth. And we will know just as we are known, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. What I pray this morning happens through the retelling of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that perhaps for those of us who have gone through many resurrection Sundays, that today our hearts would be stirred. We would be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. For some here who perhaps have strayed away from the Lord, that perhaps you will understand the depth of God's love toward you. That you will be reminded of that first love that you had, that moment that you surrendered your heart to Christ. And perhaps today would be the day of recommitting your life to Jesus Christ, knowing that He is well worth everything, every part of your life. For you have been purchased with his lifeblood. And perhaps if anyone is in here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would be that person that some years ago was sitting in a church service, having heard the gospel, but not fully really understanding or knowing how to, how to know salvation. That you would be like that person, me, some years ago, that finally understood as the Holy Spirit gave me understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you too would come to surrender your lives to Jesus Christ. Exchanging your sin for God's grace. And so I want to just lay that out from the very beginning, the outset, so that we may understand why it is that we're here. It's not, we're not here just to check a... A box. You know, this is just something that we do on this day and we come together. No, no, no. You're here by divine appointment. Every single one of you are here by divine appointment. You know, this morning as, I, as we um, celebrated a sunrise service, and I was, you know, we, we were on the corner of, um, what is that, Spruce or Columbia, actually Columbia and Iowa, and <clears throat> you have traffic you have traffic on Iowa, you have tra- traffic on Columbia, and, uh, and things are moving there. And today it was, uh, I see the sun is starting to come out, but it, it's, it was, it's kind of cloudy, right? And you feel the, the cool of the day. And I, I was thinking about that day when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they came to Jesus' tomb, and they were expecting one thing, But they got the shock of their lives. Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And how it was that 
that they were overwhelmed. They were, they were in awe. They were astonished. But they were also fearful. They were fearful. Sometimes we feel that way. I remember just prior to coming to Christ, I, I would also feel that. I would feel nervous. And I, don't, I didn't know why. Why am I feeling nervous? It was because I knew that this was the house of the Lord. And I knew that I was, I was there and there was some reverence for him. But I didn't have at that time a personal relationship with him. Because, and, and I knew, and I knew that I, I was going to hear something that I probably didn't want to hear. But that was me. Maybe that's not you. That's just me. And, and I want to let you know that we here love you and want to, we desire to see more people come to Christ. We, we want to see more people come to recommit their lives to Jesus Christ. We, uh, we'd love to encourage you in that and love on you and, and build you up in that way because we know that that glorifies the Lord. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. And so we are here to glorify the Lord and do it with one voice, one heart, and one spirit. Right? We have one hope. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, you know, as I was uh, considering how many times uh, it had been mentioned in the New Testament, I realized as I was going through that it had been mentioned 42 times in the New Testament. And without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, we acknowledged on Friday, we had Good Friday service, knowing that uh, it was his shed blood on the cross that atoned for our sin, paid in full. When Jesus said to Telestai, he said it was paid in full. It's a legal term. He said it is finished. We acknowledge that on Friday, but we know that three days later he would be raised from the grave. And without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you completely dismantle the gospel. It is of no use. It is absolutely gutted. There is no good news without the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 19, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are not most to be pitied because we know that we serve a living God. One who has conquered the grave and dealt with our sin on the cross. May we come this morning with grateful hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our understanding, Lord, that your spirit would fill us, that you would have your way with us. And, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified as we desire, Lord, to hear from you and to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has been raised, though. We are, of all people, not to be pitied. We shouldn't pity ourselves. We shouldn't play the victim in any way, shape, or form. We are victors in Christ because he has been raised and he has ascended and sits today at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on behalf of you and me. And so here we are this morning celebrating Resurrection Sunday, the day on which Jesus, our Lord, conquered the grave. This is truly an amazing day, a day of joy, a day of celebration, 
a day of hope known in Christ's victory. According to all four Gospels, on Sunday toward the dawn of the day, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, came to the garden tomb, and of course they found it empty. Well, this news traveled throughout immediately. The disciples were told that the tomb was empty, and there, was a, there were so many different responses to the news that they heard. I love going through those responses, and the reason why I love going through those responses is because basically they parallel, they, they show us, or they reflect really how we respond. To the news that Jesus has been resurrected. Not only did he die on the cross, but he's been resurrected. He rose from the grave. As you this morning go into the tomb and you realize that it indeed is empty. How will you react? How will you respond this morning? That's of utmost importance. Some were amazed, astonished, filled with fear. Some disbelieved. And some were reminded of what Jesus had told them. And they pondered what they were told. You know, Jesus over and over told his disciples that he would die. He's going to Jerusalem to die. He told them what he would go through. But he would be raised on the third day. He told them this. But we know in scripture. We we also also are told. That they didn't didn't fully grasp it in the moment. But they would come to know. Peter upon hearing the news. Marveled. He marveled. At what had happened. Him and John. they, They went to the tomb. You know, it was, um, it was John that got there first. You know, John's account, is, it's interesting. You know, he was a faster runner, apparently. <laughs> and he got there first. And then Peter, we know Peter, right? Peter, well, he didn't wait. See, John waited at least in, in, in the entrance to the tomb. He, he kind of looked in. You can see this in John's account of this event. But Peter, oh, he didn't wait. He went straight in. Straight into the tomb. And after hearing the news and seeing the empty tomb, he went away and just, he marveled. Pondering. Thinking, no doubt, of those words that he had heard from his master, his Lord Sometimes we think of those things after the fact, don't we? We think about God's word. We think about his promises. We think about his love. We marvel at them. Because we know that he is faithful. We know that he indeed loves us with an everlasting love. He's proven that. But God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the indescribable gift This is the gift of God's grace. Peter marveled at what had happened. You know, no one took Jesus' life. Even though he was crucified, even though he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, even though they did all of this, even though they nailed him to the cross, it wasn't anyone who took his life but he, he himself yielded his spirit, gave it up. You see, no one had the power to take it. He did it willingly for you and I. That is truly beyond comprehension. That is a love like you and I won't know this side of heaven other than just believing and seeing how it is that God did this for us. The Son of God having come down to give up 
his spirit for you? Who are we to complain? Who are we to hold anything back? And yet we are so self-centered. We still, even though one side of our mouths we claim to love the Lord and out of the other side of our mouths we want everything for ourselves. Jesus yielded his spirit. And there was this one Roman centurion that was there to do his job. He was there to make sure that those who were crucified, that they were indeed dead, that they would go through the crucifixion. You know, while all of this was going on, this was a very public place. Golgotha, you see, the place of the skull, uh, the Romans made sure that the crucifixes would, would be seen from a very busy road that, would go, that uh, went by there. And so people would see. The reason why they did this was to make an example of those who were being crucified. To strike fear in the hearts of the people. And there was this Roman centurion that was there. And he saw the manner in which Jesus was crucified. And he, what he said. And how it was that he yielded his spirit. In his response... Truly, this was the Son of God. What we hope is that perhaps he didn't just confess that, but it was truly a personal confession. Because we can say that we believe in God, but the word says that even the demons believe and they tremble. So just because you say you believe in God doesn't mean you have a salvific relationship with him through Jesus Christ. You see, a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, it is seen through fruit in our own lives. It's a response to the love and grace that we have come to know through him. There is, there's proof. In James, he speaks of it. Faith without works is dead. That's why it is that as brothers and sisters, when there is fruit that's missing from someone else's life, accountability is so important and, and we should see some fruit, right? It's not because we're judging each other for condemnation, but it's because we desire to see some proof, some proof that you have a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ. This Roman centurion, we don't know, but you and I can be sure of that this morning. Not just saying we believe in God, but we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. From there, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, it says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is Saturday, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people. He has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. It was wonderful that Joseph of Arimathea, he and in fact it was him and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus previously, 
and had asked the question, what it meant to be born again. Nicodemus was a, a, a teacher of the people. Nicodemus was a wealthy man, and he had this tomb, and he cut it out, and he made this entrance, he made this tomb, and yet everything set up, and, and they went and took the body of Christ. They prepared it as well as they could in the short amount of time that they had. They brought the body to the tomb, they laid it in there, and it says that they rolled a stone over the entrance to the tomb. The garden tomb. As uh, I think about the time when uh, I went to Israel and, and it's thought that this tomb was the very tomb that Jesus was laid in. But you can see how it is that there is a, a rise from the entrance to the tomb about 30 to 40, 50 feet out. And it goes up about six to eight feet. So you can just imagine in your own mind's eye how it was that the women could sit there on that little hill, on that little rise, and just watch. Watch Joseph and watch Nicodemus do all of this. They, they, they knew exactly where Jesus was buried. They knew exactly where he was. It was on Saturday, the very next day when the chief priests and the Pharisees wanted to make sure that no one stole Jesus' body. Oh, we remember what he said. He had said, I will, after three days, I will rise. And they said, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. You know, the only way that that fraud would actually have any meaning whatsoever is if they actually produced a living Christ, a living Jesus, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Otherwise, they could just simply ask the question, well, where is he? You stole his body, but where is he? Oh, there were many witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they wanted to make sure. So they went to Pilate and asked that the tomb be sealed. And they also asked for some soldiers to stand guard to make sure that no one came and stole the body of Jesus. And Pilate agreed and gave them soldiers to use for this very purpose. You know, we know that Peter, in a reaction to the Roman soldiers coming to take Jesus away, he pulled out his sword on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and we know that he lopped off the ear of one of the soldiers, Malchus. Right? I believe it was John again. John points every, he's the beloved, but he points out, hey, Peter was the one that did that. I just want everyone to know. It was Peter. It was Peter that did, he, he cut his ear off. And of course, we know how it was that Jesus put it back up and he, healed him completely in that moment. Everyone else ran. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And they indeed did that. They all scattered. So we know that they were no match to the Roman guard. There's no way they were going to take them, take them on. And they set this guard they sealed it with a, this seal. No one could, could break that seal except under the, the authority of Pilate of Rome. But they were no match to the Lord. They were no match to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first Day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. 
Can you imagine these two women that had seen where Jesus was laid? They saw the stone being rolled to cover the entrance. And we know from the other gospels account, uh, uh, gospel accounts that they were wondering, they were kind of, they were kind of worrying, really. Well, who's going to be there who, to roll the stone away so that we could prepare Jesus' body further to honor him? They were expecting one thing. And they experienced quite another. Something absolutely amazing. They came expecting to do a work for Jesus. And he had done a work for them. They came and they felt the earth shaking. And they see an angel of the Lord that had descended from heaven sitting on the very stone that had been covering Jesus' tomb. The women never saw Jesus come out of the tomb because he was already out. Jesus had risen from the grave. Nor did Jesus need for anyone to roll the stone away for him to come out. The only reason why they rolled the stone away was so that we could see that the tomb was indeed empty. How amazing it is to consider what was taking place at this very moment. The earth shook, the angel descended from heaven, rolled a stone from the entrance to Jesus' tomb, and then sat on it, seemingly waiting, just waiting for these women to show up to tell them, He is not here, He's risen. You know, God takes the time to do that for you and I. You know that? He cares that much for you. If the Father sent the Son to die on the cross for you, you can bet, you can know for sure, 100%, that He is the one that pursues you. He had this angel descend from heaven. And sit there, waiting for these women to come. Just just tell them, hey, listen, you know, I know who you're looking for. You're looking for the one who's been crucified. You're coming to serve Jesus. But he's not here. You're looking for the one that's been crucified, that's been buried. He's not here, he's risen. God sent that angel for them. How many times does he have to send you someone to give you a word from the Lord for you to understand it's really not them. They're just a vessel. It's really nothing. It has nothing to do with the instrument and everything to do with God and what he desires for you. He's not here. He is risen. You're looking for something that isn't there. Someone who isn't there. He's done something for you that you could never do for yourself. And in verse 4 it says, And for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Come and see. And then we realize, oh yeah, it's not just the two ladies that were coming to tend to the body of Jesus. Oh yeah, there is this Roman guard that was set there. By Pilate himself. But the angel did not address the Roman soldiers. But rather the women who were there to take care of Jesus' body. The soldiers, what happened to them? One angel did this. One angel came. And they all fainted. These tough men. Who can stand against God? Imagine if God himself... 
God just spoke a word. But no, you could say in a very real way that he had mercy on them. He didn't kill them. He could have. But he just simply had them go memes. They were no match. But this angel addressed these women. The angel by himself rolled a stone away so that these women could be shown the empty tomb. But it wasn't just so that they would know. Sometimes we just, we know. It's like, okay. Knowledge puffs up. But what do you do with that knowledge? That's what's important. Because for them, it, it wasn't just, hey, just come and see and know. But it's come and see and go testify of what you've seen, what you know. Go and tell. Go and tell the other disciples. Right now, what's important for you to do is go, go tell the other disciples. It's happened just as he said it would happen. He has risen as he said. Again, the great stone was rolled away so that the same women who saw where Jesus had been laid could see that he was no longer there. D.L. Moody said, quote, One angel was enough to roll away that stone, not to let him out, but to let you and I look in to see that the sepulcher was empty, to let the morning light into that sepulcher, to light it up that we might know that he had risen, the first fruits of them that slept. Yes, thank God, he has conquered death and the grave. And you can shout now, O grave, where is thy victory? He went down into the grave and conquered it and came up out of it. And now he says, because I live, ye shall live also. Close quote. Come and see. Oh, come and see. Come and see and taste how good the Lord is. Have you come to know that? Verse 7. He continues and he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Go and tell. Uh, These women, they were shown the empty tomb. They were told to go tell the the other disciples that he would meet them in Galilee. You know that he, Jesus told his disciples exactly what these women were being told by the angel to go tell his disciples to go do. You know, In fact, they should have been on their way to the region of Galilee already. Just by faith, just knowing that his word is true. But they weren't. They were still there. They were still in Jerusalem. Three days after his crucifixion. If they truly believed in that moment, they would know... Oh, he's told us. He's told us many times. He was going to be crucified. This actually happened. Come on, guys, let's go. We know where to go next. It is Galilee. He's going to meet us there. Again, I I love going through this because it reminds me of me. How many times do I have to be told, do this? This is what needs to be done. You know the word. And yet I fall short. And yet God, in his grace and faithfulness, has patience with us. Just as he did with them. It took time to do this. This was important. These women were told, hey, go and tell them. 
tell them once again to go to Galilee. And these women were filled with fear and great joy all in the same, at the same time. Can you imagine? It's like laughing and rejoicing and at the same time crying. Like, what, what's happening here, right? It's because when we, when we realize that God is real and His love for us is true, it, it strikes our hearts in such a way to where we've never learned this kind of love and this kind of reverence for our God in a way that we have come to know it in the moment. These women were filled with fear and great joy and they ran. Jesus had told the disciples that he would be crucified and rise from the grave three days later. And it had been prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would be crucified and that he would rise from the grave. It it had happened, you see, just as Jesus and the prophets of old had said it would happen. And they ran. They ran. They were going to do exactly what they were told to do. In verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I I, I love this because it was on their way. They were on the road to go meet up with the other disciples. That Jesus met up with them. You know, we know about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus met up with them after his resurrection. We know how it is that Jesus met with Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. It was on that road that Paul came to surrender his life to the Lord. It was in this moment that these women were met by Jesus on the way. Being met by our Lord and Savior, the risen Christ. Not only were they shown the tomb where they saw Jesus' body be placed, but now they see the risen Christ. They hadn't just, they had just come from being told by the angel. He's not, I know who you're looking for. The crucified one, Jesus, but he's risen. And now he's there And what do they do? The moment they see him, and all he says is, greetings. Greetings. Again, how much does the Lord have to tell us for us to acknowledge that it is him? Sometimes over and over again. Often. Most of the times. It's me, I'm speaking to you. But, 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 but. And the response, they didn't have a word to say. Not a word. I know sometimes we speculate. I wonder what what I'm going to do when I'm face to face with Jesus. I I have a feeling, I know. And it's not going to be, you're not going to have like, I don't think. And you're like, uh, I have a bunch of questions for you. <laughs> Why? Because we, we will know just as we are known, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. But I think it's going to be a response like this. It's just going to be a, a, just a, a never-ending, oh, and just down. Glory. But listen, they clung on to the risen Savior. They clung to him. They embraced him. They were worshiping him in the moment. While they had him there, they just clung to him. Nothing to do but just praise him. 
No questions. Just worship. I believe this is what we'll do. We will fall on our faces and we'll simply worship him. And Jesus plainly told them, don't fear. Go and do what the angel told you to do. Tell the others and have them go to Galilee where he said he would meet them. And he says, there they will see me. At some point, we have to stop doubting. At some point, we need to get beyond ourselves. God proving himself faithful over and over and over again. There's got to be a moment where just whatever he says, okay, I believe it. I'm because you're God. And you've been faithful 100% of the time. 100% of the time. There's not one moment that you failed. Jesus met these women on the road and they acted on the word that they had received. And Jesus said he would meet his disciples in Galilee. This is again, as I stated earlier, about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. He said he would do this according to his word. And of course, we know that he indeed met them in Galilee. So the angel said, come and see. The tomb is empty. And then go and tell. The sun has risen. We ought to not fear, but have faith. Believing in the son of God, Jesus, who came to die for you and I. And rose from the grave three days later. They saw Jesus. Their response was on worship and faithfulness. They, at the moment, they understood. They were filled with faith. It was confirmed over and over again. But there were other responses. And I want to briefly just touch on those responses. Because it's important for us to, perhaps we relate, can relate to some of these other responses. In John chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So John chapter 20, verse 1. And we'll just read through this. And those little things that I had mentioned earlier about John's writing, well, we're going to read it right now. So John chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and uh, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Just briefly, um, their, their significance in every word. Every word. And it says that in in verse 7, And the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Even this in and of itself is a clue that he's coming back. You see, this this was the custom in that day to where if the, the master would leave the, the napkin folded up on the table, it was a sign to the servant to not pick anything up because the master was coming back. But they still didn't get it, though. They, they didn't 
even though they had been told over and over and over and over again that, that he would be crucified, but he would be raised from the grave. You see, their belief was with knowledge, but not with full understanding. Even though they saw and believed, they didn't fully see how it all came together, but they will. I don't know about you, but the, the moment I came to salvation, I didn't know in full. I, in fact, I, I'll, I'll never know in full until I go home to be with the Lord. But I remember studying the word and I, and I thought, wow, this is all coming together. Yeah. Read the Old Testament, read the New Testament and see how it all comes together. Oh, all these prophets, they prophesied all. Yeah. It all starts making sense. Mm hmm. Believe without full understanding. That's what we see with Peter and John. And then we see Jesus' disciples, and they express this gladness. In the same chapter, John 20, verses 19 through 21, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They said to them again, or Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we see there a sense of gladness. Same time, they were filled with fear. They were filled with fear knowing that the, the Romans were after them. Why? Because the religious leaders were, were not so happy about what was happening with Jesus and his followers. They were filled with fear, but at the same time, as they see Jesus and he appeared to them, they were filled with gladness. They were told that they were being sent just as Jesus was sent to tell the world that salvation has come. And it was at that time that they received the Holy Spirit. You see, we cannot be sent out in any effective way unless we, we number one, we have salvation. We possess the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit possesses us in a good way, not in a the way the world thinks of it. We can do nothing unless the Holy Spirit comes upon us and empowers us to do the work that God has sent us to do. But they received this word with gladness. And then there, there was this other guy. I don't know if you know about him. Thomas? You ever heard of him? Doubting Thomas? You know any doubting Thomases? I know we have a Thomas here, but he doesn't doubt. <laughs> doubting Thomas. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Again, how many times does the Lord have to speak to us, show us, be faithful for us to understand? We don't need a doubt. It's wonderful. We have the story of Thomas. Jesus appeared to him. It was eight days later. All that time, he had been hearing the disciples talk about what had been happening, what had happened. The, the women who went to the tomb, uh, to whom Jesus appeared. The disciples um, that were there in, in the, the locked home. And Jesus had appeared to them. And yet all this time, nothing. 
Thomas, man. You guys believe, but I don't know. You guys are dumb because you guys haven't seen, right? No, we've seen. Yeah, okay. You can just imagine the conversations. I, and, you know, of course, it's, that's just my own thoughts on it. But you, you guys have conversations with each other. You guys discuss things. You have people who say, I won't believe it until I see it, right? You got to see it to believe it. Well, one day we will see him. And then we have Peter. In John 21, verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon, Peter... Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in. The boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of The disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he, he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Again, I I love going through these because we can identify with some of these responses. You see, Peter was being restored. Any of you need restoration? Have any of you denied Jesus? Have any, any of you faltered in some way, shape, or form? This is what God desires of you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's this restoring work. The Lord desires redemption, reconciliation, restoration. And then there were those who were Slow to believe. I mentioned the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. <clears throat> I remember the first time that I um, was asked to do a somewhat of a devotion. I chose this. And the whole time, the whole time, I was referring to the road to Emos. The road to Emos, the road to Emos. You see, I was a fairly new believer, and, and I had no idea that, uh, that it's Emmaus, right? And so afterwards, um, this pastor, he was very kind, and he says, you know, 
Raul, it, it's not it, it's not Emos. It's um, next time you teach on this, it's Emmaus. Like, all right, thank you for your grace. <laughs> but here are these disciples who were slow to believe. Again, slow to believe. Listen, if you're if you're slow in your your belief in your the the growth of your faith, don't overwhelm yourself with that. Please, the Lord is faithful. Just be faithful to him. Continue to search the scriptures. All right? Get yourself in fellowship. Get into a Bible study. And know that God desires that your faith grow. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. But these men were slow to believe. In Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13, we begin to see how these two disciples were on their way to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. And it was Jesus who revealed himself to them. Not initially, they didn't know who it was that was walking with them. In fact, it says in verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? (laughs) I love this. This is Jesus. He knew exactly what had just happened, right? He was the one that was crucified and had been raised from the grave. And he's walking with them. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these Things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken." Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Again, Jesus in this moment, being with the disciples and them saying these things out of of concern, but a failure to understand, was telling them, hey, listen, you're being foolish. You're being slow of heart to believe and understand. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer. And to enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread." Desires to commune with you. Desires that you would simply receive the instruction of the word that your faith may grow and be well rooted in truth. They were sorrowful because Jesus had been condemned to death by the chief priests and the rulers and had him crucified. It's interesting, they were looking for a different type of a savior. And Jesus was there to deliver them from the condemnation of sin and give them the hope of the resurrection. 
And he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the, script, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And as they got to the village, they were going to, they urged Jesus to stay with them. He did. And as they were eating, their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. The more you spend in scripture, communing with the Lord, the more he will open up your eyes to see him for who he is. That he indeed is the Savior. And their hearts at that very morning, at that very moment, burned within them. See, God desires that you believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ by trusting in him for salvation from eternal damnation. There are those who believe but are without full understanding. There are those who receive the news with gladness, but still there are others who doubt, falter, are slow to believe. But I want to encourage you this morning in Christ, know that salvation is only known through the belief in Jesus Christ, by placing your trust in Him completely, your life, giving it to Him. Trusting that He will deliver you from damnation eternally in hell, paid for in full by the shedding of His blood on the cross to serve as full payment for your sin. Now, John. 14.6, again, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him. You can in this very moment. And in this moment, if you are sincere about crying out to and calling on Jesus as Lord and Savior, It's in that moment that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit, sealing you for the day of redemption, a seal that no one can break, no one can pluck you out of his hand and give you the hope of heaven. You will be a new creature in Christ with a whole new perspective, a whole new purpose for your life. From this moment on, you will live a life in response to the love that you have been shown. We love because we have first been loved. You will know a transformed heart. You will no longer be the same person. And no one that's ever done that has ever regretted that. Why? Because we know we've been delivered from hell and given the hope of heaven in Jesus Christ. And we've been forgiven of all of our sin. No one's ever regretted that. I pray that the Lord has his way with you this morning. We know what he desires. May he fill you. May he show his love to you even further. And may this day be glorious in Christ alone. Jesus is alive and he alone saves. Will you put your trust in him? He is risen. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for the love that you demonstrated to us. We ask, Father, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does not know you, Lord, at this moment, it's been explained. Lord, there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. It's believing on him, committing our lives to him, knowing that in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we have victory over our sin and over death. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that as you've stirred some hearts, Lord, that this morning there would be a response to that. That for that person, in this very moment, they would simply cry out to you, ask you for for your forgiveness, and ask Jesus 
to be Lord and Savior. Lord, and I pray that they would also allow us to come alongside and encourage them in their walk with you. To build them up. To teach them those things that you've taught us through the scriptures. To point them to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For any recommitments, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't waste any time, Lord. That at this very moment, if there's any recommitments to you, Lord, that it would be made right now. Fully devoting our hearts to you. And Lord, that you would just strengthen this church and continue to do what you will to do. Continue to add to the church as you see fit. But just help us to be equipped to come alongside and and make disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of you, lovers of God. In Jesus' name we pray.